and welcome back to our listeners. Really good to have you here with us for this final episode of this small part of the podcast series on climate adaptation. Don't forget if you haven't had chance yet to listen back to our previous episodes where we've talked about topics such as the conservation of the oceans with Karen Sek, about nature-based solutions with Henk Niebuhr, and also a deep dive on mangroves and why they're so great with Peter Van Eck from Wetlands International. I'm really excited this time to be joined by Lisa Hartog. She's the project lead of the Water Action Track, working for the Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management. And I think we're going to cover a really great breadth of uh, topics. But first, welcome, Lisa. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. Really nice to have you. But let's start with who you are and what's your background and what's your current role? Because I think it sounds quite broad, but it's really nice if you can explain for everyone. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Lisa Hartog, I uh, born and raised in Amsterdam and uh, went to Leiden where I studied law. And after my studies, I uh, started at the law firm, but I didn't like it. It was too much profit focused. So then I went traveling in South America and uh, I thought, with my knowledge, I can help people. So uh, being back, I started working uh, at um, the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia. And uh, I worked there for a year uh, in the office of the prosecutor. And it, it only was an internship, so I had to swap to a real job. And then I ended at the Ministry of Defense. And there I've worked for thir 13 years. At the end, I was a spokesperson of the minister but then I went to Zanzibar for a holiday and then I uh, got acquainted with water scarcity. And I met a young researcher, a bright young woman from uh, Germany, and she did uh, research uh, about water scarcity on Zanzibar. The problem of water scarcity in Zanzibar is uh, twofold. It's, of course, one, climate change, but on the other hand, it's just the logistics that aren't in order. So. Um, yeah, um, and that really made me think, okay, I work with the Ministry of Defense and we can have a safe world, but what if we don't have a planet to live on? And then uh, I was in a plane uh, home and uh, I card serve as a hobby. And I was thinking, what if we can ask each traveler who card serves, who comes to Zanzibar to ask him or her one euro to donate, and then we can educate the people about climate change, and we can educate people about uh, transport of water or doing your infrastructure in a way that you can transport water to the other side of the aisle, because there is water on the other side of the aisle. So, but then there was an opportunity for a job uh, to coordinate missions uh, to countries where there are water problems. And uh, it was with uh, the Netherlands Enterprise Agency. And, um, well, I uh, applied, I uh, got accepted, and I did it for one and a half years. I coordinated emissions to countries where there are too much water, uh, too polluted uh, water or uh, water scarcity. And then uh, a year ago, I ended up at the Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management. I got a phone call and somebody asked me, like, okay, we have uh, a water action track and we have the uh, goals on climate adaptation. Well, there is going to be a summit and all these people who are working on it, they're writing plans and uh, they are making coalitions, seeking partners. And uh, yeah, and then my question was, but is there something doing anything also? 
And then he said, well, therefore we need you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and that's how I ended up a year ago at the Ministry of Defense, uh, at Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management. And I was the, I was appointed like the project lead of the Water Action Track. So uh, yeah, that's a little bit where I, my history and where I ended up today. So it's really a personal journey for you as well. Yeah, it is. And I think you touch on something really important about water as a topic, because yeah. you mentioned water scarcity, that's where you started with it in Zanzibar. But there are some places where too much water is also the issue and it's so broad and there are so many different challenges in this whole water sector. So yeah. I think, yeah, you've sort of uh, seen some of them firsthand and it's fed into your personal story, which has brought you to this position which you are in now. Yes. Yes, indeed. That's really fantastic. And in your current role, so uh, you're bringing action into the water action track. Yeah. And what does that mean? What is the water action track? What What's its purpose and, and what's it trying to achieve? Well, actually, to be really uh, formal, the water action track now doesn't exist anymore. We are uh, working on the follow-up of the water action track. But a year ago, well, there were eight action tracks. Um, and those were established by the Global Commission on Adaptation. And there was an extra track on cities, there was an extra track on agriculture and food, um, and there was an extra track on locally led action, and there was an extra track on water. And what we did, our goal uh, was uh, to scale up and accelerate on actions on climate adaptation and water, and to do it worldwide and inclusive so that we shouldn't leave no one behind. So uh, our goal was um, to get to the Climate Adaptation Summit, um, mobilizing partners, countries, uh, and the partners exist of NGOs, multilaterals, uh, international financial institutions. And um, so we ended up with 57 partners in 20 countries uh, towards the, the Climate Ad Adaptation Summit and really to emphasize on that action has to be taken because if we leave it the way it is we can mitigate but that's not enough we have to adapt too yeah and i think you touch on something really important so climate change is bringing us this set of challenges we've talked about that throughout this whole podcast uh, series actually and it, different people perceive that in different ways uh, when we talk about the ocean what the impact is for example we talk about communities uh, we talk about biodiversity and the impact it's having but now we're talking about water this very big umbrella topic can you maybe say from your perspective um, what is the challenge connecting climate change with water people who work with water it's really uh, obvious but if you don't work with water, it's not that obvious. 90% uh, of all climate disasters are water related. So for us, it's really obvious. Okay, then the solution has to exist of water too. It can be a solutions broker or it can be an enabler. But if you talk to um, people who work in the world of infrastructure, or if you talk to people who are always active in cities or in the world of safety and security, you can tell your water story, but often it doesn't resonate with them because you have your own language. Um, and it's like, for instance, in the world of water, they often use the word holistic, but in the world of infrastructure or uh, defense, uh, it's the world comprehensive. So I think the biggest challenge is um, 
that with the water sector we tell a story that other sectors can understand but also within the water sector create a unique voice so that the people who are uh, working on technical solutions understand the people who are talking about water and sanitation those people understand um, the people who are working on a daily basis on, on a governance level so actually it's just two challenges first uh, to connect the water sector and second to connect with the world outside the water sector and it's yeah it's it's a pretty hard challenge yeah it sounds like it's very multifaceted there are so many elements to it but it's also on different levels because yes. you mentioned now governance but you talked about how your partners cross all these different levels as well and they're all looking at different elements yeah. of water yeah so climate adaptation uh, and climate change is impacting different elements yeah. of water so it can be for us as Van Nord, we talk about coastal resilience in terms of flooding yeah. uh, sea level rise but for some people it's about a lack of water and a drought for example yes um, it is and that's why there were eight action tracks like there was one for water, there was one for cities, there was one for locally led action. What all those eight action tracks had in common was that water was all related to them all. Also on finance, so because it's really important that you have uh, finance to um, facilitate the adaptation projects, but also uh, locally led action. And what you stated, like for us it's locally um, the coasts, and uh, for others, it's, um, well, it can be the well in the backyard. So how we uh, see water as a subject for climate adaptation, it's really, well, you can say it's cascading through all the subjects, not only on the theme level, but also on the level, because climate adaptation can be really small. Like in Rotterdam, you have squares underneath where there uh, is uh, water is is collected when it is really ha with heavy rainfall, but you can also have it on a on a national base, uh, building a really adaptive dike, uh, like the Afslui <laughs> Fantastic example, thank you, Lisa. Yeah, excellent example, the Afslui Dike, of yeah. course. But yeah, indeed, you've got this huge scale, and yeah. I think you touch on something which is really. Uh, fantastic which we see which is that the Netherlands has these great examples actually the Netherlands yeah. has these hundreds of years of experience of managing water which is you are within that ministry as well yeah. with water management how do you see that the role of the Netherlands to to take all their knowledge and experience which they have developed over the last hundreds of years and and share that water knowledge and experience with the rest of the world you have to share it that's also what I discussed once with you, that you, with Van Oort, you have a lot of experience and knowledge and you want to share it for the greater good. Um, but also, yeah, for some people in this water sector, it's also a mission. For me, it's um, seeing the water scarcity in Zanzibar. I, I, I was really like, okay, I, I have to do something with it. And in the Netherlands, there is a, such a large water sector it's not only private companies, it's the governance, it's NGOs. So I, then I see it is our mission to do it. But then you also, you have to make it formal. And that's, well, and that's a very interesting process because after the Climate Adaptation Summit, 
We're doing that at the Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management at the moment. We are making now a new direction on uh, climate adaptation and water, uh, international water affairs. So, yeah, and it's, I think it's really uh, content driven. We want to change the world with our, and if I'm speaking for the ministry, with our knowledge and our solutions to problems. But it's also, we're making it like, uh, we, we make it, bring it into the government to really reach something in the world. Yeah, because I think that's also something which the Netherlands has established very well over time. We've yeah. got the Delta plan, uh, for example, which really gives a very long term vision on how you can develop and, and sharing that knowledge. And, and that's where you see, I think, the, the Netherlands and the Dutch really taking the lead in this sector. Uh, and there is a lot of knowledge to share. And, and indeed, we do that as Van Nord, I hope, uh, as a private uh, party, but indeed working together and collaborating with all these different yeah. Uh, uh, parties and that's something that we've discussed throughout this podcast series but what pops up all the time is the need for this collaboration because Van Nord will not manage this on their own no. the Ministry of Infrastructure and Water Management will also not manage this on their own uh, we really need to find the right partners and collaborate to bring those solutions and actually to accelerate action let's be honest because that's what we would all like to see as an outcome um, but I think what's interesting is the Netherlands, I think there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of knowledge and experience which should be shared and can be yep. shared with the right collaborations with the right partners. But what about also the other way around, learning from the outside world what is happening elsewhere in the world that the Netherlands can also learn to, to help make themselves more climate adapted? Yeah, to help make themselves more climate adaptive and to help other countries also to gain knowledge. But it, what you said on uh, the, the stakeholder process, the inclusive process, that's totally true. And we we are really a, a, a country uh, that like we travel to the Philippines and we just want to put there a dike. And, and in the process, we've learned now and it's really um, to respect the inhabitants of the area but it's also uh yeah we have that pride but no and then but what we see more and more and that's really good that we um that we work together and that now in this stage of the world we're in with the climate change and the new um, um challenges for example today it's really warm in the netherlands and it has been beautiful weather for three weeks but before that, it was like really wet for a long time. So the extremes are getting more. And we can learn from other countries, uh, for example, about um, Chile, where they um, collect water from the Andes. They transport it to the lower parts of the country. And there uh, they collect the water to use it in drier periods. So um, it's these examples are there and um and i think we combine it now in our work but i think that can also be more um, to use another example what i've seen a few there was a deep dive session at work about singapore they built their hospitals with so much green that the estimated recovery of people who are in the hospital is shorter that's amazing. Yeah, that's really amazing. And I really, but then it's Singapore, they're so innovative. And, uh, but if we can bring those little elements in, 
in uh, in our approach of uh, stakeholder uh, engagement and do that in early stage. That's also really important. And we do that good in the Netherlands because it's our history, it's in our veins. And if you keep your eyes open in the world, we can learn from those examples. Yeah, yeah the nice, I mean, that Singapore example, I wasn't aware of that. I think that's lovely. But what I also quite like about it is the combination of it's a technical solution, which yeah. as an engineer makes me very happy. <laughs> uh, but it's actually a technical solution which thinks about nature and biodiversity, but it also thinks about the human element. Yeah. Health. Yeah. Yeah. And, and bringing those different elements together. And I think that that's something that we really need if we're going to address these climate challenges that we're faced with. It's not just, oh, uh, hey, let's put our hand up. We've got technical solutions. No, you need to understand that stakeholder situation and think about the health of the people, the local communities, the society, and what are we doing for nature and biodiversity as well. Yes. And then, yeah, the collaboration and the stakeholder part is really really important so this is a lovely example uh, from yeah I, I i just I, and there are really many examples on this scale um, and if you and i really get inspired by those because it's so easy it's so lo- less effort you have to to do to make it work yeah, and I think all through this podcast series, we've also talked about lots of these nice examples, like I say, with Peter, with wetlands last time, talking about yeah. mangroves and nature-based solutions. And, and so these topics are, are common throughout this series. But what I think is quite interesting, and that's perhaps also where, where we have a challenge as Fanord, is we're like, hey, we have loads of solutions. We have lots of ideas and every person has that. So how do we now catalyze that into action because I think that's something that you're also driven if I hear your personal story uh, but what you're trying to achieve in this role uh, and what what the action track was all about is how do we now translate this into action and accelerate this into real projects to help actually people all around the world to become more what are the success factors there I think um well a patience (laughs) that's <laughs> not something I'm blessed with. I don't know about you. <laughs> no, me neither. But it's um, but patience and persistence. Um, and that's, I think, two of the key words that is a ground base you have to take into account. Let, let's take an example. We have the national adaptation plans in the countries and we have the national determined contributions. Um, and these are about... Um, about how the countries have to adapt to the new situations. And water, the presence of water, um, let's say, put it, it can be stronger and you can, we can mainstream water in the national adaptation plan better. So how do we do that? Um, because if you have a good national adaptation plan, you can say, okay, you can connect it with projects, projects, um, a government is uh, known with and then you can ask for finance and if we can finance you can accelerate on projects you can scale up so you create a kind of a pipeline for projects um, we try to influence that process and to the aspect of how can you uh, connect with companies like Van Oort it's I think once it's it's a technical technical knowledge that you can assistance on on which solutions do work, which solutions don't work, but also the experience in the countries, which country uh, does it work or 
but also that at some point, for instance, we were talking to the WWF, uh, the World Wildlife Fund, a few weeks ago, and they told us about some draft proposal on a project uh, in seven countries in Asia. And they want to upscale it. And they needed, um, they had like a uh, proposal and they sent it to the, uh, they were in contact with the, with the Green Climate Fund. And how then for the Green Climate Fund, it's just one of the funds of one of the, it's just an organization. But then we also have a governance level connection with the Green Climate Fund. And then sometimes you can make a connection to help that organization. So then you connect the private sector with the governance sector, which offers entries and with your knowledge and with our governance experience, we can make like a connection, well, which can accelerate on actions. And it's difficult because like if we're building a dike here in the Netherlands, it takes years. Yeah. But if you're um, doing a project in Vietnam, it also takes years. And these are different cultures involved. And uh, we have to, well, I always say, if you want to position somebody, then you have to give them space. And if you want to give them space in South America, it's a totally different story than in China. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's really, it's complex, but that makes it very interesting. But I think if you connect with, uh, if the private sector connects with the knowledge institutes, if they connect with the governance institute and be that stakeholder in that inclusive process, to accelerate and scale up on actions, then there we're having a start. And then we can think along and we can start early to realize the goal, the long term. For now, it's 2030, reaching the SDGs, but oh, yeah. Yeah, there will be another horizon after yes, that. Yes, hopefully. Another horizon. Yeah. <laughs> There's still plenty of work yeah. to do, that's for sure. So, so if I hear what you're saying, it's indeed about you needing all those different elements. You need the governance structure. You need the, the private sector with their solutions. Uh, and and you, you mentioned some NGOs and you need the financing parties. And do you feel that that's part of your role as well to bring all those different elements together? Yes, well, actually we're doing it at the moment. Uh, for example, we have COP26 um, in November. Uh, bringing the climate community, the worldwide climate community together uh, to negotiate on uh, climate change and solutions. And um, But what we will have on COP26 is the first water pavilion ever. Um, and there, um, under the guidance of uh, some partners in the, in the water sector, like the Stockholm Water Institute, they bring together all these partners from the water sector, but also outside the water sector. So we started with a really a group of uh, partners which were also present at the Climate Adaptation Summit. But then in our department, we were, clo we were close together with Hank Ovink, and he, um, he suggested, well, perhaps you can talk with UN Habitat or you can uh, talk with the UNDRR, the Disaster Risk Reduction Organization of the UN. And um, we just uh, went talking to them and then we said, oh, but you can also join the, the uh, water pavilion. And the World Bank is present, but also NGOs are present. And what you notice is that we worked to the Climate Adaptation Summit and we put water back in the heart of climate action. 
And so you have a story to tell and people, we make that we're continuously busy connecting. And, um, and if we go to that COP26 and all these partners are there, we have brought them together. The hard part is then to make connections to other sectors. So that's still a challenge, but some other sectors are already involved. So, um, but we're not yet there and uh, we have still a few months. No, no, we're very uh, happy to see also that the Water Pavilion is very closely connected with the Resilience uh, Hub, huh. where we will also play a part yeah. in and uh, looking at the whole coastal resilience pillar where we, we are involved. Um, it's absolutely connected with the Water uh, Pavilion. So we're really happy to see that collaboration as well. And, yeah. and of course, because there are overlaps between all these different uh, topics. And I think it's really great that the, the COP is really taking on together with the UN Climate Champions and the Race to Resilience, the, the resilience and adaptation element that's one of the core themes of the COP this time as well. So that next to the NDCs and the discussion on net zero and bringing down our emissions and footprint, we're also talking about adaptation, yes. resilience of people. Oh, there is an, even is a, an adaptation day now on the COP on November yep. 8th. So mark your calendar. <laughs> we will be there for the whole program. So uh, that's also very exciting for us. And I think that that's a nice thing as well. Um, you have these high level events. You you talked about the, the Climate Adaptation Summit in January yeah. where we participated uh, and, and leading now into the COP in November. Um, they have, of course, this very high over political agenda and, and, and these uh, negotiation tables, etc., which are all going on. But there is also this incredibly important element coming back to what you talked about with all these different people from different uh, sectors, NGOs, private, governance, uh, local communities, also that the countries from around the world are represented uh, at COP, yeah. uh, where we can start to talk about action, uh, hopefully, and you touched on, okay, creating this pipeline of projects. Um, but yeah, I, I see, of course, you have these huge events with these big political goals, but I think it's also a great place for us to convene and connect and start talking about how are we going to get action? What are the next steps now to really take action. Yeah, and, and that's, um, you see that back in the uh, strategic theater, that uh, there is a lot of emphasis on locally led action. We have to help uh, and offer perspective on a local base that those people really say, okay, they can counter this. And it's, um, it, it's, it's really fancy, uh, funny that you mentioned this because um, this weekend I was uh, at my parents' house and I had a really good talk with my father. And I said, I'm busy at such a strategic level, but how can I realize impact on the ground? And then he really gave a, a wise speech on that. You cannot have everything in a job, but that was, that's really, it was so good to reflect on how do I with my work uh, realize action on the ground and, um, example what I mentioned about the national adaptation plans and the national determined contributions what we are working on now with the UK and with uh, aqua the water alliance um, we're working on a program that we help eight countries to mainstream water in their national adaptation plans and then um, those are eight countries 
we help them and that's 0.1. But then we want to upscale it and we want to talk to other countries and with our knowledge, um, um, we, uh, we can support this, but we're making the connection with the least developed countries in these because that's also really necessary because they're the ones who wake up and the water is literally in their yeah. home yeah. and we here live behind the dike. So yeah. And um, so that's one of the programs, but it's really, I think that every day you wake up, you must say, okay, it's about water, it's about scarcity, it's about the people on the ground, but sometimes you're lost in all the politics and the coalitions and, uh, but this is, and the water tracker, what I just mentioned, the example is part of the Adaptation Action Coalition. It was launched by the UK and Egypt during the Climate Adaptation Summit. And it has a water working stream. So it's really concrete. It's on water, it's on technical support, it's on governance uh, mobilization, but it's also about how do you finance climate adaptation and war. So it's really, um, yeah, it's really an action stream, but um, it's really, yeah. It's always, I think, perhaps you have it also working at Van Oort. Yeah, you work on these big projects as an engineer um, and you can count and you make the kind of calculation to the computer, but in the end, we want to help the people. And that's what dri it's driving me every day. Yeah, yeah and I, I feel that when I'm talking to you and I think it's super nice because you have such a great personal story which drives your passion yeah. in your job and the work you're doing, which is great. And I, I can fully relate to that. And indeed, I think it's one of the wonderful things and the luxuries that we have as Fenord that, yeah, we really do deliver concrete projects yeah. on the ground. But I was talking with, for example, one of our project managers who recently delivered a project in Africa uh, in, in Sali and Senegal, we did some coastal protection, we brought back the breaches there, we worked with the World Bank to to really reinstate the, the local revenues from tourism, but also for the fishermen that they could. And if you even hear from the operational guys who work on the ground on these projects, what drives them and gets them out of bed in the morning is not like, woohoo, I placed this many tons of rock, although we can get very excited about rock <laughs> and sand as well. But really the smile comes on their face when they talk about like, yeah, and then finally the kids could play football on the beach again. Aww. And the fishermen could safely bring their boats up the beach and they could sleep soundly at night. And that's what gets people out of bed and motivated. And I think that passion we have to hook into and use that to accelerate taking yeah. action and delivering projects that really bring that heartfelt warmth for, for all the people who are involved, for sure. So I think it's great that you bring your personal passion into your, uh, into your job, Lisa. I really uh, think it's fantastic. I think um, it's really also good we, we have to address things on political level. That's why the COP is so important and the CAS yeah. and, and you mentioned the Adaptation Action Coalition launched at CAS by the UK and Egypt. I think it's now uh, interesting for us how do we connect that all to make sure that we can still keep delivering on our goals and that the policy filters down and, and delivers that action. But every element is really important for us to deliver on. Um, I think it's really important that um, what I'm really noticing, uh, and I was uh, writing an email about it, and I notice it in conversations. The conversations we have until COP26 is really uplifting because everybody wants it, everybody wants to get there. So sometimes you have a really energizing day, but then everybody is so busy with COP26 
that they don't think about the water, the UN Water Convention, which will take place in 2023. And there will be also perhaps a climate uh, a COP uh, in 2026 uh, in the Netherlands, or there will be, uh, well, we have to reach the SDGs in 2030. So I think it's really important that we stress on the long-term um, perspective because if we only focus on COP, then, uh, okay, then it's like uh, December, everybody's at home again, uh, and they're, they're sitting there and they're thinking, okay, and, and now what? No, that, but then you may have missed the train. You have to step on the train to the UN 2023, even before you go to COP. So I think that's really important. I also think that next to long-term long -term perspective, it's also about getting really committed but for me it's easily said because I'm just really an intrinsic person who really wants to change something um, it I think well I read a book and that that's good I can mention it here I read a book it's all we can save and it's um, two climate scientists from the United States they gathered 70 women uh, uh, authors uh, poets and the book was about um, how we can, uh, all we can save, so all around the, out about, about the world. And that is really, reading that, that book was for me really thriving because it's, uh, it, there were several call to actions, uh, but also by Dina McCarthy. And she used the words uh, like, okay, we have to do something, it has, it will take years. And then she said, I'm not going to be a dead woman walking. I'm, we have to do it together. And will it take effort? Yes. And will it go fast? No, but we have to step up and we can step up and we're the last generation. So those stories, um, really, um, make me believe that we can do it together. So I think uh, for me, it's, it's also a personal crusade, uh, but um, yeah, uh, that's the combination, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's gonna be very hard for me to ask you any other uh, questions after that, because no. that's a, an absolutely fantastically inspiring uh, conclusion from your side. And, and hopefully some of our listeners have already read the book. And if not, hopefully some of them will now go out and read the book. But I think that's a fantastically personal, but also uh, a call to all of us to, to make sure we continue to work together and we all uh, contribute to this future that we're building for everyone mm. uh, so with that i would like to uh, wrap up thank you very Already? very much <laughs> yeah i know we can talk for hours and hours uh, it would be amazing and probably you have a list of more things which our listeners should read and uh, and get into uh, are there any final words you would like to share with our listeners before we uh, close for the series um, more inspiring book. Uh, more inspiring recommendations. Book. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. No, no, no. But I, I, I would say uh, follow your heart. But that's really perhaps a little bit techy. I think if we really want to reach something, give each other space to let be who they want to be, respect each other, so we can find each other on a certain level. And it can be the fisherman in the Philippines, but it can also be the farmer in Mozambique, um, give each other room and then we can connect and then we can do it together. 
And if we can do it together, there will be people who want to join. And then you get like the technical assistance, but also the governance assistance. And then I think that then we have the right ingredients to scale up and to accelerate. And then everybody, if, if you, we can reach that moment that we can save our world. So yeah, please try. And uh, I hope you get as energized as I can. Uh, I, I am. So thank well, you very much. <laughs> I think with those inspiring words, I think we can all get very uh, energized. So thank yeah. you very, very much for joining us, Lisa, and sharing not just from a work perspective, but also your personal story, because I think it's really absolutely fantastic to see your passion come through and how that feeds into the work which you are doing um so i would also like to thank all our listeners for joining as i said if you haven't listened to the previous episodes of the podcast do go back and listen to the whole uh, storyline which we've which we've followed now on climate adaptation leading into cop but as lisa rightly said hopefully many many more years of action on climate adaptation and really working together so looking forward to it thank you for joining.